1: newspaper since 1971. Potus time to Ben Jaravski show as I speak. It is Thursday, February 10th, 2022. What's the news in the headlines you ask? Good question. I'll answer it. Uh, my beloved bright one, home delivered every day to Chicago Sun-Times, maskless by March. Governor Pritzker announces uh, that he's lifting the indoor mask mandate probably uh, mid-March. Uh, it'll still apply to schools. Uh, and uh, all throughout the state of Illinois, you hear MAGA sobbing. Uh, they were sobbing and crying and whining like the little babies that they are about the mask mandate. Now they're crying because they think I think they've lost their election issue uh, for the upcoming uh, November election. I'll figure something. I'm sure they'll try to scare uh, people on the issue of crime. Uh, withers or willers away with their MAGA. But that's the headlines uh, in the paper today. Uh, Now, without further ado, I'll ask my distinguished guest to introduce herself, because we get got a lot to talk about and not a lot of time to do it. So, distinguished guest, introduce yourself.
0: Hi, Benny. It's Achio Bejas. I'm out in the Bay Area. It's sunny and beautiful out here, and I'm ready to chat.
1: (laughs) Acho Bejas was a guest last week. It was a very popular show. Um, Last week, last month, I should say, a very popular show. And I promised uh, listeners I'd bring her back. A longtime friend of mine. I've known her since about 1983. Uh, As I told her the last time, she looks even younger now than she did back then. And uh, she's a reporter, she's a uh, a novelist, she's a translator, uh, and she's a poet. Uh, and, uh, so what my thing I do when Achi comes on, we do a little political talk, see what's in the news. Cause she's got a lot to say. Uh, and I know you want to hear what she has to say. And then I make her go through one of her poems. And this one, this one here, Achi, this is like Dylan. I told you before the show, this is like Dylan. It's got all these references. It's called a president of Coca-Cola. It's really good. I absolutely love it. And, um, you're really talented. You know that. All right. Achi Obejas. First of all, uh, I have to say uh, that I've been enjoying your Facebook uh, clips. I didn't mention this to you. You have a son who's into baseball and you're really proud of him as well. You should be. Uh, and then I noticed something, and this kind of relates to the President Coca Cola. You put out there, he looks like something like he's the next Roberto Clemente, which I could totally relate to because I'm a baby boomer. I loved Roberto Clemente. And then some guy weighs in and goes, No, Tony Oliva, because you are Cuban American. Mm-hmm. I'm like, what the fu- – what's the matter if she says he's Puerto Rican? What if she said he was the next Willie Mays? I mean, are we so locked into our little caves here of ethnic identity that, oh, he has to be a Cuban? I mean, like, there's some great – what if you said the next Barry Bonds? Well, not that he would be, you know, doping up on the- – <laughs> But you get the point. So you set the dude straight. What's your response? Uh, I know he's a dear friend of yours, and we're all in good jest here, but your thoughts in general about putting people in little boxes when it comes to stuff like that.
0: Well, it's just, uh, you know, it's also a little funny because, uh, you know, my kids are not my biological kids. Um, so <laughs> so, so this particular kid um, is actually this phenomenal mix. He's... Uh, he's part indigenous, part Mexican, part Greek, and part Indonesian. So, I mean, you know, he's he's pretty far away from, from being anything Cuban. I mean, of course, you know, the kids, I mean, both of them, my other kid is, you know, part Cuban. But, um, but uh, you know, at, at, of course they're growing up culturally Cuban, but they're, you know, they're, Not specifically Cuban. Anyway, what makes a Cuban? And who cares? I mean, my thing about Clemente was he was not only a phenomenal ball player, as you well know, but he was also a tremendous humanitarian. He was like this really, really good guy, right? Like he died on his way to Nicaragua with humanitarian aid on a plane or something. I think it was after an earthquake. So this is, I mean, he obviously wasn't attached to this business of just Puerto Rican-ness because he was on his way to Nicaragua. You know, he was helping out other Latin Americans. So, yeah, it was like, I don't want to get caught up in that. You know, I, I just liked the notion of him being really good at the sport and being a really good person, a really good person. That was like, you know, my whole mom thing there.
1: No, it was really it was fun. I had a smile on my face, but I love how you came back at him. And uh, that kid, that kid could be whoever he wants in his mind. If he wants to associate with a like a a a black man, he could be by all means. uh, By all means, you know. And by the way, just before we leave, Roberto Clemente was dark skinned, and he also represented. uh, He also represented many ways, fundamental ways that blew my mind because I was just a little teenager grappling with these issues. Uh, Archie was like the first time, like. Puerto Ricans are also black. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, there, you I mean, have Latin
0: Americans, you know, uh, there are black communities. I mean, I'm not to say that they're that, that, you know, all countries have the same sort of mix, but, I mean, certainly blacks, for example, are a very small minority of people in Uruguay, actually in, Buenos, in Argentina, but, like, even in places like Uruguay that are seen as very white countries, there are communities of of Afro-descendant people who have made tremendous contributions but you know the Caribbean is very black it's very dias you know African diasporic and uh so is Colombia and so is Venezuela and uh, a whole lot of Central America I mean Panama and Costa Rica and you know so it's uh it's silly to sort of imagine uh Latin Americans as say you know just Juan Valdez, or something. I mean, even Tony Perez, the guy that that he was suggesting, was uh, an Afro-Cuban. He was black, so um, it was like, come on, you know, we're all like this gigantic ethnic booyah base. It's not even a melting pot. So, uh,
1: so later on, when the season starts, we could talk about uh, my beloved Chicago White Sox, which are filled with Cuban players. It's amazing uh, how that's going on. But let's get to politics before we uh, get to poetry. Uh, I considered this like the vegetables before we get to the dessert, uh, which is this poem about Coca Cola. Uh, so, you mentioned you want to talk about masks. That's on my mind. Uh, and madness. You said masks, and uh, well, you didn't say madness. I said madness. Uh, we're about madness, to. Um, yeah. We're le- yeah, I know the alliteration. We're leaving um, the mask era, it seems like, for the moment. I Who knows when the next uh, plague will hit us? Uh, I, I, it caught me off guard and, uh, I've talked a lot about it. I thought about a lot about it. I've written a lot about it. The protests over masks are continuing at the border, uh, in Canada. The truckers are blocking entry. They're having, uh, doing a quote unquote civil disobedience. Uh, it seems like they've become parents of Donald Trump up in Canada, which is kind of <laughs> weird and twisted. And, um, So you must have some deeper thoughts about what's going on here. Resistance over masks, resistance over vaccines for people who have pretty much been silent in the face of real government intrusion into the lives of ordinary Americans. Going back to Fred Hampton being killed while he was sleeping uh, in bed in Chicago, just something. I'm making it local. Your general thoughts, Aji, about the madness. In my humble opinion, uh, maybe you choose a different word of resistance on masks. Go ahead.
0: Well, I mean, I find the whole resistance to vaccines to be sort of weird. It seems very. Um, it, it doesn't seem to have a, a good grasp of history. Let's forget science for a minute. You know, a good grasp of history, even our own personal history, because almost. Everyone in this country is vaccinated one way or the other. You know, I mean, to go to most public schools, you have to have a whole mess of vaccines. So the vaccine to this particular, um, you know, vaccine to this particular one seems uh, to me a little bit misplaced. I get that it was the warp speed Trump uh, vaccine and that as a result, there's some reason to quibble with how safe it might be. But it doesn't seem to. <laughs> no, I do. I mean, this was not a normal vaccine. Okay.
1: Wait, time out. Just for just the irony of that. That's why I laughed, because I do not know any mask. Uh, excuse me, any anti-vaxxer out there who argues that because Donald Trump was driving <laughs> no, the not. car when the vax was created means there's something wrong with it. You know what I mean? It's just the opposite. Yeah. It's very funny that you I, know, that. I know,
0: I know. But, I mean, most of the anti-vaxxers, the, 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 the anti-vaxxers are pro-Trump in some way, and, then, and they forget that it was Trump who put together this thing. But, I mean, I do think if you want to come at it from, like, this, you know, Trump is this weird-ass, untrustable human who, you know, from what we now learn, has been eating a lot of White House documents and uh, clogging toilets with him. I mean, you know, these are not the kinds of news you expect to hear about a president or an ex-president. So, you know, sure, if you want to say he's like, you know, not the most reliable character and and he put this thing on what he called warp speed and, you know, sure, there weren't the usual time-based, you know, uh, you know, studies on it. But, I mean, enough time has now passed, too, that we have some studies. We do know some stuff. I mean, generally speaking, this thing is pretty safe. Um, so I, th- there's, there's a kind of a historical logic to this thing, uh, to, to these, uh, particular protests. I think the, the thing about the masks right now, and I, I don't know, uh, you know, here in, in the Bay Area where I live, uh, all but one County is lifting the mandate. And, uh, and I, I find that a lot of people have already dropped the masks, even with the mandate. I mean, I find that when I go buy gas and I go inside the little convenience store, you know, three other people follow behind me and there's a sign the size of a human outside saying that a mask is required. And none of those people behind me have a mask on. It's just me and my kids with the mask. Um, I have a, a, a young kid who's, uh, you know, only four, not vaccinated. So I'm going to continue to wear my mask. And... Um, I am in a demographic, you know, where a lot of people are vulnerable regardless of the vaccine. And so I'm going to continue to wear my mask because I feel very um, cautious about all the uh, – I mean, they just this morning, the Washington Post has a story about a bunch of variants. You know, this thing isn't going away. It's not like it's it, – you know, it's like, whoa, coronavirus is, you know, left the building <laughs> you know? coronavirus is like in the mortar uh, so I'm just going to continue to be cautious and uh, you know when I hug my friends I'll do that tango thing where we both turn away uh, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Um, but I mean I, I, what I am sort of fascinated with is the way this sort of anti-vax mentality has suddenly taken off and how it perversely unites a lot of right elements and a lot of left elements, um, you know, that are sort of, you know, a Trump, you know, it has, has nothing to do with Trump. You know, they, this like this almost libertarian thing that happens, but that it's also sort of illogical in the sense that, you know, libertarians are for you doing whatever you need to do. And a lot of these people are actually not for whatever you need to do, but are very specifically anti-mask. Like I've, been yelled at, you know, when I go into that convenience store and told you do not have to wear that thing. And, you know, a lot of other people have found that there's sort of an intrusion on your choice to wear the mask as opposed to, you know, the other way around. I mean, I I see people without masks and I just kind of go on my own way. It might be because they're bigger than me and they're, you know, (laughs) I live in a county where guns are, you know, very, very uh, popular. Um, but, um, you know, it's uh, it, it, I, I'm not sure what kind of educational campaign you need to get around some of this stuff, but I think the proliferation of it is, is absolutely terrifying, in terms not of right now, but of the future. Because the, the we do know that this will not be the only pandemic. This is not going to be the only virus that's going to have a global sweep. You know, with the way communications work and and technology works and the way that travel works and the way that migration works, we know that pandemics will keep on happening.
1: Absolutely. And, uh, no, you're right. And I'm watching this. uh, Governor Pritzker, uh, a liberal Democrat, what passes for a liberal Democrat these days, uh, just eagerly. Uh, taking away the mask mandate uh, it's hap- New York is taking away the mask mandate. Democrats they realize that attitudes have changed on this topic politically and it's best now politically as we head into the election cycle uh, to just sort of drop the whole mandate thing on masks and get back to normal quote unquote uh, and I get, understand that politically uh, but I in the back of my mind I'm thinking just the way you are you know, it's not like uh, COVID responds to the politics of this right. thing. You know what I mean? It's right. not like following a focus group of suburban voters in uh, some swing district in Virginia. It's like, it's got a life of its own. Right. And so I'm with you. I just, uh, mask, I will always be using a mask, like at an airplane or uh, oh, God, yeah. to the convenience store. Uh, but I have a feeling, uh, to quote the Beatles, that we will be... Um, We'll be in the midst of another, uh, I hate to say something bleak and gloomy here, but we will be in the midst of another surge, if you will, and Lord knows what the variant will be in about two months.
0: Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if it's going to be that quickly, but I mean, certainly if this thing doesn't go away, you know, something else will come along. I mean, it's just the nature of the beast here. We can't control what other countries do, and we've opened the borders again, so the, you know, people will be coming in with whatever. It might not be coronavirus. It might be something else. I mean, we do know that these things, um, you know, uh, rise up and uh, they have a life of their own. And and this particular virus seems to be extremely adaptable and variable and, you know, will, will, you know, transform uh, at the drop of a hat. So, I think but I you know, I think a lot of this lifting of the mask mandate is is I think it's less an issue of um you know, giving in to the anti-vaxxers than just giving in to pandemic fatigue. I think a lot of people are just so sick of it. And I and a lot of people want to believe that it's getting better. It's just imperative to believe that it's getting better, regardless of whether it really is or not. And yeah. <laughs> you know, but I think there's just there's just a lot of pandemic, you know, fatigue going around, and so the politicians are sensing that. And the, you know, n- no politician wants to carry a gloomy message. They don't want to come and say, "Listen, you know, it, it, you got to put that sucker on. You got to keep that on. You got to still be careful. You got to, you know, you got to vaccinate. You got you're going to need another booster in another six months." I mean, nobody wants to talk about that. I mean, with all of us who've been vaxxed and boosted and you know, injected multiple times they're gonna to have to do it again you know within a short period of time anyway it's not like we now have this you know lifetime immunity towards the you know even this virus never mind anything else that might come along so I think there's a lot of that in, in what the politicians are doing I, I presume that that's part of a lot of the democratic um, intention here you know to try to to cast themselves as you know people who've done right. And thus as a reward, you get to now take off your mask, you know, we've, yeah. And, and uh, the, the optimism of the Biden administration on this crap.
1: Exactly. And they're praying that uh, the next surge does not come until like December. Right. Uh, so that, this, <laughs> they, that the Republicans lose this as an issue in November. All right. You said something I want to follow up on. Uh, and you were talking about going into a gas station or a convenience store or what have you, and you're wearing a mask when someone yells at you. Uh, and this you're getting at uh, one of my favorite topics And uh, the curious selection, selectivity of MAGA when it comes to uh, free expression. Um, So, for instance, uh, they have a right not to wear their masks. You wearing your masks offend them. Uh, Joe Rogan has a right uh, to say whatever, to use the N-word, but Colin Kaepernick does not have a right to take a knee. Uh, I could go on and on. This is one of my pet, uh, you know, uh, going back to Joe Rogan. Uh, no, if you criticize, Whoopi Goldberg has a right to say, uh, what she wants. Uh, and, but, uh, you can't teach critical race theory, uh, in a public school on, and that's my favorite critical race theory. So, I mean, I find it overwhelming pointing out the inconsistencies and hypocrisies of MAGA. I've sort of dedicated this era of my journalistic career to doing that, Achi, It's a vain thing. Like, you know, that boy trying to keep the, the water out of the dam, you know, with his finger. But help me here. Help me on this one. Uh, are, are How could people be so freaking blind to the utter hypocrisy of what they're espousing? Go ahead. Take well, it Well,
0: you know why. It's because it's uh, – I mean, the one – Example that you pointed out that doesn't quite fit in, and we can talk about it later, is the whoopee one. But for the most part, it's it's about white supremacy. It's about people who feel entitled and don't really see other people, especially black people, but people of color in general, but specifically and particularly black people, as having those same rights. Of course, Colin can't take a knee. I mean, if he took a, you know, if he does that, that means he's a free man that he can have an opinion that he can truly believe in, but also that he can promote, right? And then what if other black people start doing this? Oh, my God. I mean, the, you know, the world is uh, going to fall apart. But, you know, that a white guy wants to, uh, you know, rip the mask off your face? Sure. Why not? He's a sensible white guy, isn't he? Uh, I mean, and I think that's how it works. Really, honestly, I think that's that's how it works. I mean, um, I've never... Had a bad look from like a person of color on my wearing a mask, never mind being yelled at. But every time somebody says something to me about a mask, it's inevitably a man and it's inevitably a white man. Um, you know, I'm not a particularly big person, so I'm not threatening to anybody. So I'm also, I think, a, a pretty um, easy target. Um, but you know what bugs me is when it happens in front of my kids. Um, yeah. Because then they get confused and they feel like, you know, vulnerable about having the, their, their masks on. And, you know, I, and I mentioned this before, I think when we talked, but, you know, these particular kids, you know, who are growing up during this time, they've, the mask has been integrated. They don't think anything of it. They, you know, put on that mask the way they put on their shoes and socks, you know, before they go to school. It's not like a big to do. Um, And, you know, I also find it interesting that they're going to lift this mask. I don't know about your schools, but like in my kids' schools, there have been like five or six exposures already in the course of, um, you know, the last two months. So, um, I mean, luckily nothing's happened. Everything's been fine. And those kids who've gotten the coronavirus have, you know, it's been more like a cold because they were vaccinated um and everything you know they go back to school in a week or so uh actually 10 days that's the mandate here for quarantining but um you know these kids don't think of the mask as this particularly horrible imposition they they are you know they don't like to wear it but they don't i mean big deal you know um, but they do. They just wear it. Everybody, I, I, my, I don't even have to tell my kids anymore to put on their mask or to choose a mask. They, as they're going out the door in the morning to get in the car to get dropped off, um, you know, they slap it on.
1: By the way, I uh, uh, want to just add a uh, asterisk uh, comment to uh, that great riff you went on about uh, s- black people not really having uh, free expression rights in this country, is if they're of a Cole and Ka- Kaepernick persuasion. On the other hand, MAGA uh, will go <laughs> to the mat. Uh, uh, see, I get all their emails. so I know <laughs> what, what, what triggers them. So they'll go to the mat for, let's say, uh, Kanye West to have the right to say that uh, he, he likes Donald Trump. Uh, or they'll go to the mat for Larry elders, who was the batshit crazy uh, <laughs> leading Republican candidate in the recall election to say uh, that white people should get reparations for slavery, not making that up. He actually oh, no, no, said that. I know, that I know, I know. <laughs>
0: he actually said that, which was absolutely like one of those moments when you think, wow, I must still have traces of LSD in my body from days, because, you know, who the hell could have imagined that one? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but I think those people are very, 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 um, you know, uh, Super microscopic parts of the black community, and they have zero support in the black community, but they come up and rise to the top with uh MAGA folks because they serve a very specific purpose, which is they 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 serve as evidence that MAGA can't be racist for God's sakes. Here they love Kanye, they love Larry Elder, and you know, that's. I think that's their main purpose, just to, to, I mean, they could say anything. They could say anything illogical, anything stupid, uh, so long as they love Trump and they uh, are willing to, you know, betray the, the vision of blackness that these MAGA people have, you know? I mean, the MAGA people think, I mean, that, you know, the black community in this country all want reparations and that reparations doesn't just you know, entail a sort of a historical reckoning, but that it, it means taking their house, you
1: know? <laughs> yeah, which is really not what it means. Which is but yes, right? I understand exactly what you're yeah. saying. So, uh, and, you know, they feel personally yeah.
0: threatened by these ideas. And so they, you know, of course, I mean, if, if they can love Kanye, then, then, then for God's sakes, come on.
1: Yeah. No, I, I, before, I'm Before i going to leave this one because I don't want to relitigate this one because we talk, I talked about it so much in my show uh, last year. But uh, my favorite example is this is Ice Cube. The man wrote a song called Fuck the Police. If you say fuck the police, uh, MAGA will go crazy. And yet when uh, he was playing footsie with Trump, I don't know what he was drinking when he did this. He actually believed... <laughs>
0: Uh, yeah,
1: remember Trump's promise? Oh, kind uh, yeah. of a promise to the black community. <laughs> and Ice Cube's like waving this con- this like fake contract, and it, oh, I negotiated this deal. I'm like, man, you would never negotiate such a crummy deal if, for your music career, or movie right. career in Hollywood. Uh, but anyway, all of a sudden, Mag is defending Ice Cube, and so this is this comes back to Whoopi. Uh anytime. I've and I am a student of this. This is one of my obsessions, Achi, And I'll let's get your reaction to this. Anytime MAGA sees anybody that of the liberal or left persuasion upset no matter what the issue is, you know, it, 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 it then They're going to defend the free expression rights of whoever the offender was. So in the case of Whoopi Goldberg, you have this classic Hollywood liberal who for 20 years or whatever has been staked out on the view, giving her Hollywood liberal views, very mainstream Hollywood liberal. Absolutely. Tripped, in my humble opinion, on clearly has not studied the Holocaust or Nazism. On the issue of whether that was quote unquote racist and try to put in an American narrative of what racism is in America, not realizing, whoopie, they called themselves the master race. Just want to let you know what the Nazis. Anyway, she apologized. Yes. (laughs) They were really, they studied Jim Crow laws in the South to figure out what to, how to impose them in. Germany. Anyway, neither here nor there. She apologized. Okay, I, you know, I, I'm like, you apologize. I, I'm not for the suspension. I completely think she was, yeah, a lunatic for what she said. But I'm just like, are you kidding me? MAGA's coming to her defense. Help me with this, Achi. Help me out with this. Well, I goes back the same guys.
0: thing. I mean, here's, I mean, you know, the, it, it, here is a black person who seems to be forwarding an argument that MAGA can then use to turn around and say, well, whoopee, hey, it's not me, white person saying this. It's whoopee, black person saying this. So clearly um, I'm not the only crazy person who thinks it wasn't about race. Although, you know, even the white supremacists think it was about race. Um, I mean, there are very few people on the planet who think the Holocaust wasn't about race on either side of the you know, argument if you want to even think about it in terms of sides. Um, so it's kind of crazy. Um, but, I mean, I, I think it was just one of those great opportunities for them to hop on and and prove yet again how not racist they are by supporting a black woman. And in this case, as you have rightly pointed out, a black woman who is historically known as being a very mainstream, um, you know, liberal voice. Uh, I mean, that's, that. I mean, the, the, Arguments with you know Meghan McCain were notorious um, on on the views. So it's it's really um, it's unbelievable. And I think you know honestly, I think Whoopi can't believe that they're defending her. I mean, she's <laughs> kind of like, like, what the hell is going on in this world? I mean, I think I think she screwed up. I think you know, I I don't think she even believes what she said. I think it it was she was as you said, you know, sort of trying to give it an American spin and, you know, thinking in terms of race in the usual American lens of black and white. And, you know, when it's a much more complicated subject, once you get away from black and white, and once you get away from the United States, because the United States does, in fact, measure everything black and white. I mean, when you look at I think one of the the reasons why you know it's it's always a little bit mystifying with Latinos and even more so with Asians in the US is because it's it, it's our proximity to blackness that defines really uh, you know h- how we function, how we're viewed, how we're not viewed, with the kinds of rights we do and don't have. Um, you know, and 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 some of us have more proximity than others. It, there isn't a consistent line of proximity which is what, you know, is, is absolutely daunting about the multiculturalism of, the, of, of, you know, the country. But the country still views itself in black and whites. Most racial laws in the United States have to do with black and white, you know, and, and are based in black and white history. I mean, look at the Voting Rights Act. It's, it's actually covering everybody, but it comes out of a black and white history.
1: By the way, this is a perfect moment to make the transition uh, to the dessert portion <laughs> of our meal, <laughs> uh, because you're talking about ethnic identity. And I think the president of Coca-Cola, uh, is really, in my humble opinion, a poem about identity. And this is on my mind a lot these days for a whole bunch of reasons. I happened last night maybe to have watched a, a, a Larry David show episode, uh, which really, I don't know. Are you a fan of Larry David? I love Larry or, David.
0: I don't okay. watch him with any consistency, but I do love him.
1: Well, I urge you to watch this one. It's from the, the most recent season. I, I I just like go on the TV and start watching. I'm not really watching in any order. It is brilliant, in my humble opinion. I'd love to get your reaction. In this one, the the uh, the setup episode the setup is Larry David uh, bumps into a member of the KKK who's coming out of a coffee shop with coffee in his hand, and Larry David knocks the coffee uh, onto the man's robe. Oh, God. Okay, and so. <laughs> That's so preposterous. And then it just takes off from there and I don't want to give any away. And I urge you to watch it. We can have a whole right. show on it. Uh, but it's, it, the show is really about being a, a Jew in America, Jewish identity in America. Uh, and then there's a little overlap into black identity in America. There's a subplot with Leon, who's, uh, is Larry's friend who lives with him. Uh, I believe the president of Coca-Cola. Let me set this up one more time. The <laughs> book is called Boomerang. It's a collection of poems I urge everybody to either buy it or check it out of the library. Really great stuff. Uh, and so I want to take apart the president of Coca-Cola in my humble opinion, and you're free to say, Ben, you're absolutely wrong. You just completely misread my poem. Uh, in my humble opinion, uh, this is a poem about identity, particularly identity of somebody uh, who's born in Cuba and now lives in America. Uh, and what that means. And so that's my humble opinion about the poem. Now, you wrote the poem. You know more about the poem than I do. So explain. Uh, no, your- it
0: is. It's absolutely about that. And it's absolutely about um, s- sort of the the absurd ways in which we've, as immigrants, have have moved in the world. I mean, there was a Cuban as the president of Coca-Cola for a long time, Roberto Goeta, um, and, you know, the, the governor of New Hampshire uh, is uh, Sununu, who is part Cuban. Um, and, you know, a, a lot of these uh, other mentions um, in here are um, – they're actually all relating – you know, the Duchess of Luxembourg is, in fact, <laughs> Cuban. <laughs> yeah, she met her husband, the Duke of Luxembourg, at, uh, in New York when they were both studying – um, and uh, and and so, it, yeah, I, I took a lot of stuff that was, a, 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 you know, like, you know, there's a reference to Canseco in there with the MVP stuff, Jose Canseco, uh the six-time all-star celebrating, you know, blah, blah, blah. Um, and I just sort of mashed it together because it's like when you try to figure out who, I mean, this could, I mean, I I wrote this about Cubans, but we could do this with anybody, you know. It, you, you think that there's a particular type, and in fact, there is no type. It, we're everywhere. We're doing all kinds of things. Um, and, you know, I think that could easily be applied to, to any, um, any you know, ethnicity. You could, you know, sort of pull it there. Um, and all of the drinks are made from rum because that's kind of the national <laughs> drink of Cuba. Um, but why don't I read it so people know what we're talking about. Yes, yeah, kind, kind of go scratching ahead. their head going, Jesus, what the heck?
1: I know, no. We should do a link to it, the poem as well, but go ahead, read it. The
0: President of Coca-Cola. Ana Mendieta is the President of Coca-Cola and dresses in yellow, a mother of millions, an international pop star rolling by the riverside covered in spit and feathers. Ana Mendieta is the U.S. Senator from Florida, the governor of New Hampshire, four feet ten inches seared into wood traced with blood formed from mud and grass and gunpowder. She leans on the bar counter, a mentirita in her hand. Ana Mendieta is the Grand Duchess of Luxembourg, a prestigious professor of international law at Geneva's School of Diplomacy and International Relations. Ana Mendieta is a shadow play of light in the cornfields of Iowa, a mound of earth outside Havana, cave drawings. She's the mayor of Wichita, the tender-hearted sibling of the late dictator, a glamorous fashion model. Welfare recipient, emergency case in the emergency room, a soldier, dentist, and historian, the host of a daily talk show on Telemundo who gulps down a milky black cow every day before taking calls. Ana Mendieta is the intellectual author of Miami's Resurgence, the evil genius behind the bombing of a plane that killed every member of the national fencing team, and the man who ripped out his lover's guts when she moaned the name of another. Ana Mendieta is a power hitter MVP and six time All Star celebrating at a gay B&B on Duval Street with a chocolate slam and a tray of cocaine. Ana Mendieta is the president of Coca Cola and a double agent. She invented the sitcom, The Telephone, birthed Amazon, came over with 14,000 kids, and got deported with 2,021 others, mostly murderers. Ana Mendieta fears that if she weren't an artist, she'd be devoted to a life of crime. Ana Mendieta is subject and object. She's overwhelmed by feelings of being cast out of the wound from the island, from exile. Ana Mendieta is the target of racism and a particularly fierce misogyny. She has a wicked cackle, a cruel flutter of hands. She swallows a dark and dirty, an eye of the storm, a fucked up float. Ana Mendieta is the goddamn president of Cola Coca, and she's both gleeful and embarrassed by the millions she earns, but also keen on what all that money can do. She's on the outside looking in and so in with the in crowd. Ana Mendieta is alone. She pushes and presses her face against the glass until there's a tiny hairline fracture that snakes back and forth and back and forth, and the glass separates so she can pop each piece with her fingers. Ana Mendieta is the youngest of all, the last to open her eyes when Earth was created. She's the feminine ideal, the masculine ideal, the non-binary ideal, and inspires lust and fruitfulness. She loves handheld fans and mirrors and is constantly dipping her fingers in honey jars. Ana Mendieta loses interest quickly. She's a peacock, a sack of bones, a woman dozing on the roof of a deli 33 stories down.
1: All right. Uh, well, really well done. I'm glad you read it, not me, because you did a much better job than I would have. I have a copy of it right here in front of me, so um, so I was reading along with you. And uh, so there is an actual... Uh, historical figure, an actual human being named uh, Anna Mignetta. I'm mispronouncing her name. And um, I don't know uh, nearly as much about her as you do, Achi. What I know is what what I read when I looked her up after reading your poem. I'm like, who, who is this lady? And then, oh, yeah, it came back to me, and I'm a little embarrassed that uh, my memory was so f- uh, foggy. Explain to people who she was, she the was, real
0: person. Yeah, she was a real person. She was a performance artist. She came over from Cuba when she was, you know, like, I don't know, six or seven, something like that. She was part of something called the Peter Pan Project that brought 14,000 kids over without their parents. They were put into foster homes all over the United States. It was a program brokered between the U.S. and Cuban governments at the beginning of the revolution. It was brokered by the Catholic Church. And uh, some of these people had, you know, very good experiences, and some of these people had very rotten experiences, and some of these people never saw their Cuban families again, and some of these people were eventually, you know, reunited. We know some folks who were Peter Paners, you and I. Nena Torres, for example, is a uh, Peter Pan person, um, and so Anna was one of them. She she didn't have a terrific time. She was sent to Iowa. Uh, anyway, she grew up to be a very bold, very innovative performance artist. But she had a miserable time breaking into the art world. She did break in, and she had an, a good amount of success before. She died, but uh, she also really suffered from a lot of sexism and racism in, in that particular sort of rarefied world. Um, and then she married Carl Andre, who was a very, very, very big figure in sculpture, particularly in sort of the minimalist school of sculpture, and they had a very turbulent relationship. And her life ended when she flew out of a window uh, of an apartment that they shared together in New York and... Um, You know, the the one side of the story is that he killed her, and his side of the story is that she slipped. Um, She had a big fear of heights, so it's really hard to imagine that she would be close enough to a window to even have that be a possibility. But nonetheless, he was arrested, and he was charged with her murder, and he was acquitted. So he's out in the world. Um, And she's as the years have gone by, she's become a little bit more mythic and much more, uh, totemic in the art world. People really cite her as an influence now. Um, and then, so I built a poem around her and, and that was for a specific reason. I was asked to write about, uh, her and a piece of hers, uh, that's at the Pettus Museum in Miami. And so then, and, and, you know, she was one of these people who was, uh, very controversial in in her lifetime and among the among Cubans in her lifetime she wasn't all that accepted she was a little bit too far to the left um, she was friends with all our friends in Chicago who were Cuban and they were all very much to the left um, and so she was actually not a, a, a person who was uh, terrifically loved by her home community during her lifetime but as time has gone by she's become you know this iconic figure among Cubans uh, Cubans who maybe, don't share her politics, maybe don't even know about her politics. But, you know, she's always, she's this Cuban who sort of made it, you know. Yeah. And so I, I.
1: It's good enough.
0: Good enough, man, yeah. yeah. And so I sort of tried to roll in all these other big figures, you know. I mean, I mentioned Amazon. You know, I'm sure you know Jeff Bezos' dad is Cuban. Uh, I did not know that. You didn't know no, that's that? That's what I was like. All yeah, the did money not that he know. borrowed in order to uh, to start Amazon actually came from his dad, who, uh Who's <laughs> stepdad, who raised him, and that's why his last name is Bezos, which is a Spanish name. Um, and um, there are a couple other people that are mentioned, sort of obliquely, in in that. Yeah, oh yeah, you know, she invented the sitcom. You know, the sitcom was invented by Desi Arnaz. There was no yeah,
1: okay, prior, I that one. Yeah.
0: You know, yeah, you know, stuff like that. So I I sort of wanted to sort of play with the, the idea of this sort of cultural heritage, you
1: know? Well, the poem works on a couple levels. Uh, one level, it's it's very melodic. And it's a lot of fun to uh, just, like, you hearing you read it was really good, but it's it's fun to read. It's, it's got, a lot, like, a nice uh, rhythm to it. Uh, and uh, it works in the deeper meanings that we were talking about, about identity, et cetera. It also works in the, and this really plays into my geekiness, uh, like, who are these people? And this is where I said it's like a Dylan song. Because Bob Dylan will do these songs, I'm like, "What's he talking about?" And I'll start like looking it up, like "Idiot Win." I don't know if you know that song, but "Idiot," Win. like, who who's an idiot? What is he talking about? Uh, and so, yeah, I started. I sp- spent quite a bit of time actually looking up. <laughs> uh so that's how i knew that um that the grand duchess of luxembourg is a woman named maria theresa i looked it up right. i didn't know that <laughs> i had to look it up and then there i am i gotta prepare for this show with archie and uh so i'm, I'm looking it up and i figured out that it,
0: you did a close read as we say in the academic yeah. world
1: and i was like and then it did perplex me like who is the six time all-star celebrating? Yeah, no. And it came to me when I was walking. I was like, <laughs> Oh, I remember. What a character. And you're right. He was Cuban.
0: Yeah. You know, yeah. Um, not exactly a pride of the community, but
1: no. Uh, and, and the, the closing line uh, refers to the fact that um, she was pushed out of the 34th floor of a building that she uh, and Andre were living at in Greenwich Village, but she didn't fall completely to the ground. She fell to a the, t- the roof of a deli that was so technically she dropped thirty three. So Achi, I'm like, whoa! You were like, you got it down, girl. You had it like <laughs> <laughs> did a lot of recent,
0: all that journalism came in really <laughs> handy for this
1: show. So here's the question I have for you. Um, so did you know? all these Cuban American characters just because it's like uh, a Jewish American knowing every Jewish baseball player or like who the great Jews uh, in sitcom world are or, you know what I mean Did you or did you have to do actual research or did you just know this stuff because that's what it means to be a Cuban American that you know Jeff Bezos' dad was Cuban because you just
0: know that
1: <laughs> go ahead
0: well it's a little bit of- I mean, I, I knew about the Grand Duchess. I knew about Jeff Bezos. I knew, you know, about a whole lot of stuff. I, you know, I have obviously the the senator from Florida, you know, Mark Rubio. Um, but, you know, I didn't, um, I didn't know, uh, you know, you know, about, um, you know, Sununu. I didn't know that he was part Cuban. That was a big surprise to me. I didn't know the mayor of Wichita was uh, Cuban.
1: Yeah, I didn't know the, the mayor of Wichita either. That took a while for me to figure that one yeah. out. I had to, like, do a
0: little... Yeah, you know, Wikipedia is really great for this stuff. It has a bunch of lists of all kinds of ethnicities. Like, when you really need to, like, look up this kind of stuff... It's really uh, fantastic for this.
1: Oh, that's thing. how you got it.
0: any yeah. <laughs> oh, <we laughs> P- The, the mayor of Wichita, where there are no C- Cubans, is in fact. So,
1: who's the four feet ten inches seared into wood?
0: That's Anna. Anna was four feet ten, oh. and she used this. And one of her pieces um, actually sears her her sort of figure, her profile, into a piece of wood. She played a lot with fire and with with water and. Mud and you know, a lot of these sort of uh materials elements that you know are part of the natural world, I guess you could say. Uh,
1: and uh, this line I love, uh, Ana B- Mid- Mendita is subject and object. object. <laughs> Come on, Dylan, what's that all about?
0: <laughs> it's funny you mentioned Dylan this morning. I, I woke up with the a real desire to hear versions of his stuff by other people. And I found myself like finding like 16 different versions of highway 61 revisited on Spotify, (laughs) and you know, listening to it done by a gospel choir and you know, all this other stuff. I've been there. You've been there.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I've been there. Yeah. Uh, I didn't
0: know I had, but now that the technology exists to satisfy these impulses, they're allowed to sort of, you know, burst out.
1: Yeah. I'm not sure it's a good thing actually. Uh but I do take deep dives and spend a lot of time uh and now I'm feeling guilty about Spotify. The, yeah, the Joe I know. Rogan thing got me. No, not because it was Rogan. Uh but because they rip off their artists. Oh, they rip off
0: the artists terribly. I
1: yeah. Know. Um I know. so anyway, we'll close with this. Subject and object.
0: She She was both, she was, she, and she is, she is the subject of a lot of uh, inquiry and awe and admiration and resentment and, you know, curiosity and all that, but she's also, I think, uh, become objectified, you know, uh, within the feminist community, within the Cuban American community, all that stuff. I think she's, she's a malleable figure I wouldn't have thought that when she was alive, but I think she's become a very malleable figure. Uh, the longer she's been gone, she's she's useful for different groups who want to make different points. I mean, that happens a lot to people when they leave us. You know, I and I, I mean, I I don't often think about that in terms of figures that are alive. But for example, I think once Barack Obama goes, he's going to be very useful for a lot of people. You know, he's going to be very malleable.
1: Yeah, I mean, Trump I is
0: already malleable, and he's still alive.
1: I heard this line by a comic. Uh, yeah, it was a bit, uh, it, what is the comic? Shane Gillis is his name. I watched his routine. And he said, he goes, I just want to say this. I'm not endorsing the man or not, but I think you will all agree that the funniest president we've ever had is Donald Trump. And I never thought about it that way, you know? And the comedian went out of his way. I'm not endorsing him. Don't get mad at me. I know these are serious issues, but admit it. This is a funny man. And then he did all the weird things that Trump has done. Right. I'm like, you know, he's got (laughs) a point there. (laughs) Hard to argue with that. (laughs) You already mentioned one today. Eating the paper and flushing it down a toilet. (laughs) Like, what a weird human being. Think about Uh,
0: all the, like... Metaphorical possibilities when you talk about the most powerful man in the world eating (laughs) (laughs) top secret confidential documents that he has ritualistically torn in, you know, various pieces and or stuffing them down the White House, you know, toilets where he's also plugging them up. I mean, you know, the you can't make this up and and yet you know when you think about it in broader you know like i said metaphorical terms it just it, it just it's mind blowing it's just like you know i feel like if i turn to the side the neurons are just going to fall out of my head
1: <laughs> <laughs> all right achi i said a half an hour and we're uh you and i get talking it just it's great stuff, and uh, really, I urge everybody get Boomerang. Like I said, you could just check it out of the library, ladies and gentlemen. I get almost all my books out of libraries these days. I know that won't put money into uh, uh, Archie's pocketbook, but kind of because the libraries have to buy it.
0: I'm all about the libraries. You can just recommend the library from here on out. It's fine. I'm all about the library. I think everybody should go to the library, use the library, yeah, me, keep the libraries alive
1: absolutely i'm with you on that one uh and achi i'm gonna bug you again next month because you're a great guest and thank you for uh, coming on my show again
0: absolutely i love seeing you love talking to you i love that we're doing this
1: excellent that's the great achi Obeas. i'm ben jarofsky take care everybody <music>